the world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layered timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve is available from $995. Current users can download the updates for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagicdesign.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Raquel, and today we have an interview with Dan Dome. Dan has edited some amazing stuff, including some SNL skits, as well as The Tonight Show with Conan, and the new Conan show on TBS. Now, in this part, we're actually going to discuss how he got into the industry, his early work with the Saturday Night Live team and NBC, and the next episode we'll get into the Conan show. In the meantime, if you haven't already, go to the iTunes store and download our app. Search for AOTG, you'll find the app. Also, we got something special coming up this week. On Monday, September 30th, you can actually join us live online for a chat. So we're actually going to be interviewing Dan Liebenthal live on AOTG.com and you can actually just log in and submit your questions directly to him. So he'll answer your questions. In the meantime, enjoy my interview with Dan Dome. Can you tell me how you got into the industry and sort of ended up where you are with uh, Conan? Sure. Um, I got into the industry through my father, who at the time was a linear video editor in Manhattan. He had been around television uh, while he was stationed in West Berlin in the uh, 60s and 70s. He came back and ended up getting a job as a tape operator in Manhattan and worked his way up to be a linear editor. And then when I was about, I had just turned 20 and he was like, hey, you know, I know you're doing landscaping, et cetera, et cetera. You probably don't want to work outside this winter. Why don't you come down? interview for a tape operator position, try it out and see if it's uh, something you like. And the company that we worked for had a full production stage with an ultimate, had a insert stage, two audio suites, seven linear edit rooms, two audio rooms, three nonlinear edit rooms. One was a EMC and two of them were added. You know, it was basically a whole building, you know, so that's that's basically where I got my start. I came in, felt incredibly overwhelmed by, you know, I had never seen like a, a, a beta KMSP or a D2 machine or a one-inch machine or a quarter-inch machine or anything like that and basically had the experience of, of learning about all those machines, how to patch up edit rooms, uh, timing the edit rooms through a proc amp and looking at the waveform monitor vector scope while they were, you know, toggling their switcher bars to the edit master bars, dialing, dialing all that stuff in. Um, so yeah, I was, I was tape operator for about three or four months and my boss had, my supervisor had left to go on to another company and myself and, uh, another tape operator were named the supervisors of the second shift. So I was working probably four to 12, which was, which was usually a pretty busy time because by the time I would come in, 
some edit sessions would be wrapping up and then there'd be a whole bunch of dubs to do for clients, whether it was stuff that had to be shipped out to get on the air or if it was stuff that they just had to walk with to show their clients what they were working on. Um, so, you know, it was, it was just a lot, a lot of learning at, at the very beginning and it was, it was really fun and it just, you know, it just worked. The video business works how my brain works. There's a lot of logic that goes into it. And if you change something, remember what you change so you can put it back so that there's consistency because that's, as we all know, another another big part of this. It's you got to be consistent. You have to have different versions of stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Did your your dad give you anything, any takeaways or, or did he sort of help guide you through this? Like what was some of the editing wisdom that he sort of passed on to you? Well, one of the, one of the great things that he did was like one Saturday a month he would do linear editing classes with whatever tape operators or, you know, other people within the company. He would just basically give us like really broad strokes overview of okay, here's the edit controller, here's the switcher. So, he basically gave me a way in if I wanted to be a, a linear editor. So, I think one of my one of the first projects I did was a music video for one of my buddies' bands. It was it was an incredibly daunting task because I knew that the switcher was really powerful and the edit controller could do a lot of cool stuff. It was like, okay, do I want to go that way or do I want to learn the Avids, which it's either a three-year time investment or a three to six-month time investment. So I think my takeaway from him was, if whatever you decide to do, just do it and own it. Try and get the the most knowledge you can about things because if if you don't know what you're doing, people can see through that pretty quickly. And I think that's probably the biggest lesson that I learned. So as, during my time as a tape operator, it was always really important to me to talk with the engineers, talk with the supervisors, talk with other coworkers, and just really just try and fill my brain up with as much of the really good helpful information and and just you know i i was young and i and i and i had a really high thirst for this knowledge because i knew that there was you know you're in new york city there's a lot of film projects out there there's a lot of television out there there's i can i can do this and kind of bypassing college it was really great because i got on the job training and then was getting paid for it there was a little bit of pressure trying to make sure I didn't screw up anything that whether it was bad subs or, or something like that. So it was, it was that, that to me was probably, I didn't feel any direct pressure. It was just the pressure that I put on myself. Like, all right, don't screw up uh, dad's dubs because we don't want his clients to get pissed off. Now you, you also, you said you're with the average, but this was in like what? 94, 95. So yeah. Yeah. This is like 90. Yeah. 94, 95. So it's just uh, during the the sort of cusp of everyone starting to figure this out. So what was it like cutting music videos or projects on on the Avid? From like as soon as I would finish my shift at midnight, I would stay till like four in the morning, figuring out how to digitize, figuring out how to edit, to use all the tools within the Avid. And I had gotten to a certain point and was able to end up working and end up I end up working with some of the clients that we had in-house on like offline projects. So they would work with me from like, 
do like the overnight shift with me. So it was a little, <laughs> there was some stuff that I knew I could do that I didn't know how to do at the time that I'd go home, read the manual on my way back into work and kind of sort it out as I went. Because at that time, like, you know, I, I had never really like been in front of a Macintosh computer before. So it was like, okay, I'm learning the computer. I'm learning the Mac operating system. And then on top of it, uh, this program that hopefully will lead me to a very uh, prosperous future. Mm-hmm. Now, because in some of my research, I found that uh, you're also big into surfing and music. Um, and I was, I was wondering how that sort of plays a role in your in your editing, like music. How does that influence you during the, the editing process? Um, well, I think for me, it was I was always a big fan of music. And like I said, you know, my dad being in the industry growing up, he was editing music videos for Kiss. And uh, I think he did one for Billy Joel and for Carly Simon. So there was, you know, there was always music around. Um and I think that was what helped uh, me see this as what could be a fun job. So, you know, having friends in bands and, and playing a little bit myself, it was like, okay, like a music video seems like an easy way to, you know, teach myself this stuff because I'll have to do effects. I'll have to, you know, have a story. I'll have to sync everything up to make sure it lines up with the, the track that, you know, they recorded to. Um, And, you know, and then actually while editing, you know, after I had kind of gotten, gotten my chops a little bit more together, it was, it was nice to be able to listen to music and hear it in different ways and and choose the points with which you wanted to cut based, based on the music, whether it was, okay, sometimes, you know, it works really well to cut on the beat. Sometimes it works really well to cut off the beat. Sometimes it works well to just have the piece flow with a nice bed of music underneath it. It, it music, music plays a big part and lack of music also plays a big part in editing, depending on what kind of emotions you're trying to get across. I was wondering if you could tell me, cause you ended up working at SNL before Conan. I was wondering how you went from tape operator uh, slash music video editor into Saturday night live. Um, well that, so that was, that was a little bit of a longer process for me um, by virtue of the fact that my dad was so generous with his time and, you know, had those classes that I was speaking about on, on Saturdays, he had ended up helping a lot of people in the industry move from tape operator to linear editor. And then once they had those skills, ended up leaving the company that, that I was working for. So there were a few people in some nice places that I ended up becoming friends with and ended up I, my first gig was at NBC working for the promo department and cutting promos for some of the uh, some of the morning shows or I would do presentation offlines of presentation reels for uh, one of the guys in the promo department. Those were my early 20s and then the show that I was primarily cutting promos for ended up getting canceled so I ended up going back out into the freelance world and then actually came back to NBC to work for uh, the post-production team and coming from being a promo editor the first gig I had 
for post-production was actually being a digitizer, and they quickly realized that I was way overqualified for that. And I started to edit for Dateline, and every now and then I would get a call from the promo department to do some sports promos if that was what they needed. But from time to time, they would need extra help. So it was it was within that time that I was working for post-production that I was able to show them what I could do. I really had a still had the, the thirst for knowledge. And as the transition started going more towards standard def and the investment into high def linear tape rooms wasn't really so cost effective, there were there was an opportunity for me to go and get training on the Avid DS. And by virtue of going to those classes, getting my certificate, sitting in with some of the other editors who were using the DS to, to work on late night because that's what they used uh, for, for late night with Conan O'Brien to launch that show into HD because it had a few streams of real-time video and it, and it was uh, the media composer HD wasn't ready at that point. So that's what needed to be used. And then shortly after Conan went HD, SNL was coming back and that was going to be HD as well. So, there was an, another, an extra need for DS operators. A few of us had been trained on them, fell into those positions that needed to be covered. So, and this is this is over the course of of a few years. So it wasn't like an overnight thing. But I, I really, I had gotten along really well with with the, everybody that I worked with. Just really tried to show that I that I really wanted to learn and and be a part of it. So I did spend a lot of my own time either sitting in on on the the late night with Conan O'Brien edit sessions and watching how they put the show together, working with, with some of their main people that were going to uh, also be working on SNL. Mm-hmm. So. With SNL, did you, you were cutting like the skits, right? Like the digital shorts type skits, not uh, the digital shorts, but uh, the earlier ones. So, yeah. So the first, the first season that I was, that I worked on the show, basically it was my, my first, assignment was to conform the show open from standard def to high def. So got the EDL for that. A lot of that we would do because I would only actually work Friday night from like five in the in the evening to like two or three in the morning and then come back the following day at noon and work till the end of the show. Um, so a lot of pre-taped bits that we work on. The digital shorts, I would probably say after a few episodes within that season, that's when the the digital shorts showed up. The team that did those, they pretty much handled all their their editing themselves, which was the smartest thing they could do because they were the ones shooting it. They were their ideas, and it was, you know, I think the Lazy Sunday was the first one. Yeah, well, there's also like uh, a huge time constraint on those, isn't there? Exactly. Exactly. So they would they would be shooting those and working on those around the clock as we were also down in our edit area putting stuff together for the show that night. If there was stuff that needed to get blurred within the digital shorts, we would we would do that. Or if we had, they would they would get the five uh, one mix done. We would lay the five one mix in, and then if there were any little last minute pulls or anything to those to those sketches, then we would do those real quick and then feed it and then it would be on air. Mm-hmm. Wow. So now with SNL, was there, were you allowed or involved in any way in any creative process? I know with the digital shorts, the, the actors might've been much more involved, but on your end, did you see that? 
Yeah, I mean, we still we still had to be creative in the bits that we were given to put together. I think I did one of the uh, Dateline sketches with Tracy, Tracy Morgan and Bill Hader, and that, you know, the creative process for that was we had the script and everything, but just being able to put it together and being able to suggest, hey, maybe we switch this part with this part. The writers were always like, if you had an idea, they were they were totally down to hear it. And if it worked, great. If it didn't work, no problem. Let's move on and keep going because time is of the essence. We were, we were always racing against the clock, for sure. Mm-hmm. How many people would be in the, the editing room since everyone's sort of trying to get one major project ready? Is, is it like... Uh a lot of people entering and leaving your cutting room while you're working on it? There were times that there were there would be, you know, three or four people in there. There were times that we would be given the material, we would put a cut together, they would see it either at dress rehearsal or the writer or whoever the performer that was in the bit, they might come down and, and take a look and we can make some tweaks and then send it back to rehearsal. So sometimes there would be nobody there and then they would come down later. I would probably say... I think the most people I ever had in my room was probably six people. And that was for, I did a sketch where it was a 3 a.m. call where it was a parody of Hillary Clinton calling Barack Obama. And I think it was Amy Poehler as Hillary Clinton and Fred Armisen as, as Barack Obama. And it was, it, it, the story was all told through stills. So that was, you know, we were get the photographer was shooting the stills. We would get those files and then, be putting them together and then sometimes we would get different versions of them to swap in so that was that one I remember being a pretty intense situation to get it ready for dress rehearsal and then once it was ready I don't think we had many changes except versions of photos that we had to swap out so that was my interview with Dan Dome next week make sure to join us for our live interview Monday September 30th for my interview with Dan Liebenthal Dan will be answering your questions live on AOTG.com. But in the meantime, I'd like to thank Dan Dome for allowing me to interview him. I'd like to thank Andre for cutting this episode. And of course, Lauren Woodcock, my producer. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.